0: Is DEI the new repackaged version of critical race theory? Why are major companies embracing it and how is Virginia pushing back under Governor Yunkin's leadership? Plus, we fact check President Biden's re-election campaign video. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. all those social media posts that are going around and say if you're a child in the 80s you remember this image or if you're a child in the 90s you remember what this looks like and it just makes you feel so old when you see you know your child memorabilia on there I want to hear what some of the things are for you that kind of make you feel old when you see that little image popping up
1: well I know I used to think my like a record was really old because my dad had records but they come they came back so you never know but I you know when I see um the, the like travel car games because we didn't have devices in the backseat yeah. of the car so I like if I see a travel bingo or like one of those um they, they you know they used to have that thing where you'd you'd uh, I'm, I'm dating myself terribly here but you'd press buttons and like it was in water and you try to get balls to move around oh, wow. like that's what had to entertain us on these really long drives and my kids can't fathom that I one time tried to buy them some travel games because I don't like handing them devices yeah. when they were little and it just doesn't
0: like Mad Libs kind of thing? They cannot or... appreciate
1: how long these car drives were with I mean, you did the Mad devices Libs, we had. Yes, like, Mad like Libs. Like travel,
0: bingo. Yes, um... all of it. I mean, for me, I'm going to date myself here, but it would be Atari games or like uh, Rubik's cube is yeah. a big one. Yeah, I bet I'm the only one in, in this room right now that could say this, but jelly shoes. Really? No, <laughs>
1: jelly shoes were 80s. That was my early. Yeah, no, I do know the jelly shoes. I'd like to really? pretend I don't. But yes, okay, feel and, better. And bracelets that, you know, we had the jelly bracelets, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was in the same era. I can't remember. But yeah, but they do cycle back. I mean, we're seeing I mean, the fashion cycles back for sure, and some of it's bad fashion and i'm like why is this coming like this was not good the first time and it's not good the second time
0: it doesn't seem like it cycles back like well i guess some of the 80s fashions do but like in the 70s you know that is always cool people love to dress up in the 70s but i don't feel like 80s 90s it has that same cool factor for well
1: kids (laughs) are wearing these cut off crop tops now you know the short shirts and they're wearing what's funny is they're wearing them with bands from the 80s like I, i i watched my little neighbor like seven years old, come over wearing a Whitney Houston. And I was that's like, funny. wait a second. You don't even know who – do you know who that is? Like, I just – anyway. So I think that's hysterical because they really literally, like, don't know the bands. But they're showing up on T-shirts at the stores. So
0: that's... Okay, one thing that is never coming back are mullets on guys. No, like, no, no, no. No, no, no. You missed that. They are back.
1: Oh, what? they're, they're back. back. And it's horrible. <laughs> and especially okay. on baseball teams. It's horrible. Like, I – I, I, I won't call out my friends right now whose children have mullets, but I'm like, why are you letting this happen? And I know you have to pick your battles, right? So like I have been very fortunate that my child has not done anything boys especially nice. done anything radical with their with their hair. <laughs> my son has kept it tight and clean. But uh his friends, there's yeah, it's bad. But mullets are actually oh, bad. Wow. Yeah. So no, all you'd all think right. that could never come back. Like you make a good point. Like, how is it possible that that could ever come back? But
0: all right. Well, nothing new under the sun, I guess. <laughs> um, well, before we get into the topics today, I did want to give you a chance to comment because you hadn't really had a chance to do this yet on President Biden's re-election campaign video. I know we've had a couple come out now, but just the first one, I thought we really need to let you comment on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it. i It's almost kind of what you would expect because it's this, um, it starts out with this sort of Dark, uh, all these images from from January 6th, which is exactly what I would have expected, which is frustrating that it's so predictable because they're using these images. I guess they think these images are going to, again, turn people away from Republicans on a whole, which a lot of Republicans had nothing to do with January 6th. So but um, yeah, so it starts out all dark. And yeah, I mean, it turns positive, but I I, mean, for him.
0: Vice President Kamala Harris makes an appearance. She's actually featured pretty significantly, which I thought was surprising because a lot of people consider her the weak point of the campaign. But let's let's let people just uh, hear a clip of this real quick. Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red or blue issue. To protect our rights, to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally, and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms, cutting social security, that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy, dictating what healthcare decisions women can make, banning books, and telling people who they can love, all while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. You know, that was pretty apocalyptic, right? Yeah. All the smoke
1: going around. And... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, eventually he gets to these classic themes, right? You know, freedom and democracy and and you know, all these all these. Basic campaign themes that everybody uses and and are important. It's each side uses them differently, <laughs> right?
0: But first, he hit on those red meat topics. January sixth, we got to see all those images, yep. and then the abortion keeps coming up. R- yeah, right. Well,
1: but but in a veiled way, yeah, right? Like language. he doesn't actually talk about abortion. He talks about what healthcare for women. Well, they women. showed they
0: showed a sign yes. that said "abortion is healthcare," right?
1: Yes, yes. And I then know. he
0: uses He used coded language. What does he say? Um, that it's. Uh, dictating what healthcare decisions women can make, he leads to that.
1: Right. And then, of course, they they, they frame issues incorrectly, I would say. Talk about banning books, right? Like, there's not a movement to ban books. There's a movement to make sure that children don't have access to books at a young age, right? But they talk about book banning as if there's actually people out there trying to ban books and then, um, you know, telling people who they can love, which is not actually what's at issue. Um, And so I think they're always trying to uh, sort of, you know, Describe things incorrectly and then get people to oppose those things.
0: Well, it's disturbing because those are the issues that are dear to social conservative, you know, pro-family, concerned citizens' hearts. And so let's just let you break down those for a minute. Let's just start with when he says dictating what health care decisions women can make. Is, is this about health care?
1: No, this is not about health care. I don't know how many times you know our side can say this. This has, no, abortion has nothing to do with health care. And of course, that keeps coming up over and over because they have so framed this as a matter of health care. But it's actually uh, much more harmful to risk your health—it's much more risky to your health to go through with an abortion than to have a pregnancy. But they, you know, to have a child. But they constantly conflate those things, and um, and that allows them to try to mainstream it with funding, right? Like if it's healthcare, then we can have all sorts of tax dollars going towards it, right? Yeah. So that's that's what they ultimately want.
0: And then the whole thing just painting with a uh, just. A- a brush banned books like nothing else is at issue forget explicit content just banned
1: books i am so tired of hearing people talk about banning books that is not the point and yet if you asked anybody are you willing to have a playboy magazine in your children's section of the library they would say no but that's they just won't allow us to talk about the issues that are actually the issues for parents and they are mm-hmm and i think they're underestimating how big some of those issues are for parents mm-hmm. and that parents are a block of voters that you really need and so they need to be careful playing yeah. in that in that game
0: yeah cuz it's kind of insulting to parents oh it's
1: absolutely <laughs> insulting it's absolutely insulting and and i I can't help but note that they, you know, in the video, have this very clear line about this is not a time for complacency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because, and you, you mentioned Kamala Harris in this video, nobody's excited about this team. Even their own side isn't excited that this is their 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 candidates for office, Biden, and they're not excited about Kamala Harris, but they have to, I mean, I think she's at least younger and more youthful, and that's a big yeah. issue in this. I, when people say they don't want him to run for president, it's mostly because of his age.
0: yeah. I just have to go back for a minute yeah. to the telling people who they can love thing. I mean, that just almost seems like an outdated
1: yes um,
0: reference. And really, what the issue is this gender identity. Content being pushed in schools, but he's going back to, I don't know, is that from the 80s? You're yeah, yes. up the 80s yes. he's, he's
1: trying to uh, simplify in an incorrect way something that is much more complicated, which is the push of the LGBT agenda in everyone's face and into schools and into employment situations. And this idea that sexuality has to drive everything that we're doing. It isn't. No one. No one is that. Yeah. So it's outdated. And, and yeah, he's trying to, you know, make it sound so simple and so clear. And so yeah. how could you be against this? and really it kind of gets back to that
0: he really is just rehashing a lot and like you said the whole even the Kamala Harris thing and and Joe Biden himself is like a rehash so are we going to basically are we being primed for a, just a groundhog day rematch with president trump and um former president trump and president biden i am deeply
1: concerned we could literally feel like we're four years ago and we're watching exactly the same thing play out with both candidates and and the public doesn't want this i mean there has been poll after poll and the recent polls basically say uh, about 26 percent of the country wants joe biden to run for office and only about 30 percent only about 30 percent of the country wants president trump to be a nominee in the race so think Mm -hmm. about that i mean you're You're three fourths of people basically do not want these candidates. How do we find
0: ourselves here with stats like that,
1: that well was crazy. to be fair on on the democrat side it's very hard to deal with an incumbent he's the incumbent if he wants to run again there is usually deference given to the incumbent so i feel bad for their side because what do you do in that situation you want a bloodbath with the current sitting president right I, that doesn't that doesn't work and president trump functions very much like an incumbent for the republican party because there are people who feel like the election didn't go down the correct way and that kind of thing so both parties are in a difficult spot um, even if they want different nominees, um, because those those people carry a lot of power when you're, you have the incumbency, you have the bully pulpit, you have um, just so much to work with. So, yeah, we could be in a rehash that no one wants, which. All right. We might see mind. some
0: dark horses come out of nowhere. I have. To, what
1: about Tucker Carlson? Do you think he's going sh- <laughs> to. Is I, there a chance? It's, it's hard to imagine. I'm trying to think the last time we've had a personality like a TV or radio personality run for president and actually be successful at that i feel like that's been i mean reagan i guess i mean he was an actor um and you had i guess arnold schwarzenegger was an actor but uh, but this is a commentator i don't know i i I just want to see it well in
0: 2016 we had uh, donald trump
1: i guess you're right (laughs) i mean you're fired right like he's got his tv show but i I don't think of him primarily as that but you're right you're right but he also had oodles of money does tucker have oodles of money to actually i guess there was a big debate whether he really had money right like whether they was actually bankrupt or whatever but um, and let me
0: introduce that new voice for um, real quick at yes. uh, jesse blakely is our tell, tell your title real quick hey everybody i'm the state director for family foundation action yeah. and helping yeah. out with the podcast yeah thank you jesse <laughs> Uh, okay, so I would just like to see selfishly. I would enjoy a debate between Trump and Tucker.
1: <laughs> but that's my selfish reason.
0: Between <laughs> but, Trump
1: and Tucker on the nomination side. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, but,
0: but just moving on, so... Trump has announced that he will do a town hall on CNN, and in the meantime, we have Governor Youngkin out there making some interesting statements. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Trump. Actually, it's interesting because advisors would would probably advise him not to because he doesn't need to because he's sort of the incumbent and people know where he stands. And so it's interesting that he's actually going to do it. I think that's I think voters want to see willingness to engage in debate. So mm-hmm. I think that's important. Um, and the Youngkin thing, yeah. So our governor. Um, it's been all the speculation: is he going to run for president in? This this go around, which uh, just to remind people in Virginia, the reason that happens is because we only have a four year term. People probably wouldn't be talking about Governor Yunkin running for president after only two years of being governor if he could be reelected. But he can't be reelected in Virginia. So they know he's kind of it's like go now or what do you do in the meantime to stay relevant so any all that to say he did finally come out and say now it's careful the wording he did say he wouldn't be donning the vest on the campaign trail this year so technically he has not actually closed the entire possibility that he couldn't jump into this race in january but most people are saying, OK, maybe this is the like he's actually not going to run. And so then there's, of course, speculation like, is he going to run for is he going to go for, you know, finish his term as governor and run for Senate the next time? Because that's usually what our governors do. They have to run for Congress or Senate to stay relevant mm. so that then they can jump to running for president mm-hmm. because it's a tricky, tricky thing in Virginia with our four year term. I think we would have had a lot more presidents, um, honestly, out of Virginia if we didn't have the four year term. Like, yeah. I, think, I think it would play out differently.
0: Well, this is going to be interesting to watch. continue yeah. To play out. Well, moving on to some other topics that we're dealing with both nationally and right here in Virginia is this uh, movement on DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, and how almost every major company seems like they're just embracing this. We see this being pushed in government trainings, but there's been a lot of backlash to it. But the thing, we're going to talk about that, but the thing that I've been wondering is what is DEI exactly? Is this just a repackaged version of critical race theory? What do you think?
1: Yeah. So it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. And yes, most companies, if they are sort of Fortune 500 now at at that level, they have a DEI officer of some type. This is the person that is supposed to be on the lookout to make sure that they have a wide, diverse, uh, group of people working on projects, working in, um, you know, uh, whatever it may be at the upper level C-suite, you know, that you have a, mm-hmm. a diversity. Um, and it is, and in governments, it's become the point where not only, you know, sometimes you have a cabinet secretary, a DEI cabinet secretary, which we have in Virginia, but also a lot of times you have a DEI person embedded in every single department. Yeah. Let's make sure health has DEI. Let's make sure education yeah. has DEI. So yes, it's this overarching. Theory and it's and uh, it's really this idea that we're we're back into pitting Americans against Americans, mm-hmm. you know, and and dividing into all these sub identities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it's. Uh, I just, I, yes, there were lots of places that did not have enough diversity. Um, There are lots of places that sometimes have too many people that think the same way, that come from the same background. But is this, but is this over hyper focus on it really the right way to go? And I, I would argue it's really actually almost counterproductive. Well,
0: specifically, there's actually been research that gives evidence that pushing these DEI programs don't actually work. There's, there's really not evidence that it's working and, in fact, there's been some evidence that it does harm or creates backlash. And we saw an example of that that I thought was interesting coming out of Portland, Oregon, where you had these uh, 900, some 900 police officers that had to take this mandatory, I guess it was a DEI training, and this particular segment of the training was uh, LG, let me, I have to make sure I get this right, LGBT GTQIA2S themed <laughs> training. So I, I thought it was Don't just. Don't forget the, the plus. And <laughs> the plus. There's always a plus that Jesse has told me. Don't forget the plus. So or, are we adding more numbers now? It seems like... We- yeah, it used to
1: be all letters. Now we got a number. I, I, um, and I, I guess it's two-spirit. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I've seen that out there. I, how bizarre. Um, but yeah, to your point, there's always a plus. Thank you, Jesse, for that. Because there is. Uh, there's always something else to come, which puts everybody in 10 subgroups by the time you're done. I mean, it's just the most bizarre thing ever. But I, I do feel um, concerned about these kind of trainings. I mean, It's not that police shouldn't get training, and Mm -hmm. certainly there have been issues around race and other things. So it's these are important things, but when you get to this level of letters, and and obviously these poor police, I mean, you can really the reaction to this this particular training, um, what to the yeah they they didn't hold back to the backlash they 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 were aggressive in their feedback. You want to share some of that? Yeah, (laughs) just some
0: of the descriptions. So there was this consultant firm that helped facilitate the training, and um, they got feedback, and so the feedback was terms like it, it was patronizing, childish, offensive, unnecessary. Here's one indoctrination, masquerading as training. I mean, that that's pretty on point. So let's just look at a clip of what these poor officers were forced to watch. I got served at the count. The cashier served me and I realized that I don't get angry about that anymore because I realized that that's just a person seeing that male energy that I do have. Um, so I'm a very unique person non-binary individual because I do have multiple pronouns that I do use. And so for me, it's a little bit different. Uh, Oftentimes within uh, the trans community, some folks are very, very sensitive to pronoun use.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, they got feedback like the cartoons were just plain childish, which even in high school when they'd show you things with like cartoons, you were like, okay, please, like I mean, seriously, we don't have be- cartoons
0: are better than that. I yeah, mean, have people. That yeah,
1: I, it's pretty bad. And I mean, you, you just think about these police. They're overwhelmed. They are poorly staffed. I mean, the things going on right now, And I think they're sitting here thinking well, we got all these serious situations out on the streets and we're having to sit here and watch cartoons. I mean, the yeah. dichotomy is OK. That was clearly expressed in the feedback. I yes. just have
0: to read this one comment. Quote, we are short staffed. We are behind. We are barely treading water, trying to stay afloat out here. And nothing is more insulting than having to stop and watch a video of rainbow haired people talking about how they don't know what gender they are. I mean, you can you can hear this tough police officer, you know, just overwhelmed and the frustration. But they weren't really listening or they weren't the facilitators of this training weren't really um, trying to get perspective on how the police officers were feeling. No,
1: it actually got worse because the consultants basically said that their response, their poor feedback, was basically a result of racism, ableism, and white supremacy. And you know at, at, of course this, you know hit the news and afterwards you know the national review actually analyzed all the mm-hmm. comments 250 comments and they said they found virtually no evidence of racism or white, a- no ableism white or white supremacy yeah. so it's like we just add more terrible terms when people don't think this is super helpful <laughs> Sadly, the conclusion from the consultants
0: is, oh, this means we need more training instead of let's understand I, where the police are coming I from. I feel bad for
1: the police who gave honest feedback and now I, are going to have to sit through more of it. because This does feel like maybe
0: an office episode. But in, <laughs>
1: Yeah, it in, does. It does. Well, they um, definitely had one on diversity.
0: And <laughs> I mean, if you look at the comments, clearly the issue was that they didn't like having a sexualized agenda. Politi- it was a political agenda being pushed on. That's what they're reacting yes, to.
1: Yes, I think that's right. I think they... I don't think they would mind reasonable training that helps them do their job better and helps them be more respectful of people. But I don't understand why we can't just have training about respecting all human beings and yeah. the golden rule and all the things that yeah. are pretty obvious.
0: Well, speaking of the golden rule, okay, someone here in Virginia talked about that and got in trouble over it. So let's just go into that. Um, I'll just start out by saying that thankfully here in Virginia, we have leaders that are not Turning a blind eye or shutting their ears to concerns over DEI. The Governor Yuncan administration is listening to those concerns and doing something about it. Uh, to bring us up to speed on what's happening right now.
1: Yeah. So under the Northam administration, they created a new position and it was, in fact, a director of diversity, equity and inclusion. No surprise there. Um, but so then when Governor Yunkin took over, I mean, a lot of people thought he should just abolish it mm-hmm. because, again, these things are not always helpful. Um, but what he did is he actually just basically reshaped it and said, no, we're going to have a director of diversity, opportunity and inclusion. So change the equity to opportunity, which I thought was pretty creative. So and- it, it's deep. So it's D-O-I now, yep, (laughs) Uh D-O-I, yep, instead of
0: D-E-I, and I think that's important. Tell us about this new director under Governor
1: Youngkin, Martin Brown, a little bit with I mean, yeah, this is a guy who is a, has a, a lot of experience in the social service sector. Under the McDonald administration, he was the director of social services, um, has a lot of work with prison uh, prison reform, fatherhood, um, social service types of things. So he came at it with a lot of background. I have to mention, he was the uh, executive director of the Family Foundation oh, when I, I was hired that. as an oh, intern. Okay. So I have to give him some props um, because uh, I have a long-time relationship with him and think uh, the world of him, just a wonderful human being. Um, but basically... Basically, he gets to this job and he's not shying away from the fact that DEI is not the way to go about it. Yeah. That this equity thing is not is not yeah. productive. He's he's right in line with what Yunkin has as a new vision for this. He didn't pull any punches. So I'm just going to
0: show a clip here of Martin Brown speaking in his new role at, at the Virginia Military Institute. Let's just listen to that for a minute. The is dead. Now that it's 840, we're gonna focus on civility. We're not gonna bring that cow up anymore, it's dead. It was mandated by the General Assembly, but this governor has a different philosophy of civil discourse, civility treating, living the golden rule, What a concept. Living the golden rule. That is just so controversial.
1: (laughs) Apparently these days. And, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So he makes these comments, and then all these left-wingers go berserk. Some of the professors at VMI, of course. Oh, really?
0: They jumped in. uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean— Thankfully, not a lot of them. You can get professors against anything. I mean, like, you know, at any college, there's X number of professors that are going to oppose anything that's rational, Mm. in my opinion. But anyway, so, yeah, so they come after him. They want his resignation and they want the attorney general to look into it because somehow this must be a violation of the law that his office that he's holding is not designed the way the Democrats designed it.
0: Those are some of the Democrat leaders trying to... Jump, jump in, jump and, in and, and, and light a fire and see yeah. if it'll
1: it'll go anywhere, because wouldn't it be fun if we get one of uh, Governor Yunkin's employees, you know, canceled? So, yeah, it's crazy.
0: Well, it was good to see Governor Yunkin's team sticking to their guns on this. I'll just uh, read what his spokesman said. Governor Yunkin will continue to advance equal opportunities, not equal outcomes for all virginians tell us victoria why why is that difference important
1: that is everything that is everything it is it is important that everyone has the opportunity there are folks that Definitely. We want, for example, when you think about jobs, DEI is often in the workplace. You want to make sure you get applicants from all over the place. You don't want just the same kind of applicant because you're not even going to have the best choice. But then when you get all the applicants, no matter what their race is or what their background is, you want to pick the best one for the job. And that's what he's talking about when he's saying opportunity is about making sure the application pool is diverse and that we're letting everybody apply and we're not stereotyping things. But then what he's talking about, equity would say, no, you have to actually pick somebody because of their race or because of whatever that, uh, you know, way that we're going to, the identity that we need for that moment. And sometimes people use the word diversity and they might be talking about racial diversity, but I'll never forget somebody telling me how diverse their their area was, their school and their neighborhood was. And they meant racial diversity, but it was the wealthiest area. Everyone of every race was of the same economic. So Mm -hmm. does that actually produce Mm -hmm. diversity? Sometimes diversity comes, it's not just about race. It's about race. It's about income. It's about background it's about thought and so sometimes we these these offices just miss the entire yeah. point
0: well and to me when you're talking about manipulating outcomes you really are destroying the capitalist system because you you're manipulating the outcomes instead of creating opportunity and so that really is just a communist system if you if you're going to measure outcomes we want and that's the never the best
1: worked. outcome we want the very best Whatever it is, not yeah. based on all these identities, and so it is. Uh, I'm just glad to see that the governor did try to reshape this role, yeah. and that he's put someone in there that is being true to his vision for that role. And I think it's ridiculous to think that, um, and somehow that violates the law.
0: Yeah, I mean, because we want we want opportunity, not planned societies, Correct. right? Yeah. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award.
1: Inconceivable!
0: I just have to say today's inconceivable segment is the most bizarre (laughs) story. And I've heard some people calling
1: it Bible Gate. (laughs) (laughs) that's fair that's a fair title yeah it all started um i'll just give you some background it all started when basically these bibles started disappearing out of um in arizona's capital basically where they meet with their legislators they had like lounge spaces Mm -hmm. and they had bibles available which i think is actually kind of cool i'm not sure we have bibles floating around our general assembly but anyway they started disappearing and then basically they catch this democrat lawmaker out in arizona on camera stealing the bibles and the the funny thing is, it wasn't
0: a one-time occurrence. The, like <laughs> These Bibles kept disappearing, like you said, and the security team, they're getting complaints because this is supposed to be a place where people can come de-stress. I mean, legislators get stressed, due, you know, trying to go through the process. They need a place to talk and just kind of um, chill out a little bit. And so it makes sense that there would be a Bible there if they just need some comfort or personal refreshment or just want a, a resource even. Um, But the Bibles kept disappearing. They were getting complaints. So the security team gets tired of having to come find these Bibles because they keep finding them in weird weird places, places, like stuffed in the
1: sofa or whatever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they actually set up a camera and the culprit was caught red handed. Let's let's just watch a clip of this whole crazy story. The good book was showing up in the strangest
1: places under seat cushions
0: in a fridge. Members, I stand here
1: today. A hidden camera busted Bible Gate wide open. Wanting to acknowledge. Democratic Representative Stephanie Stahl Hamilton was hiding the two Bibles that were placed on tables in the private lounge for members of the House of Representatives.
0: The offense I committed by my actions
1: of hiding Bibles in the members' lounge. I mean, how much animosity do you have to have to go hide Bibles? I can't even fathom.
0: I know it's almost like, you know, see no evil. I can't even see God's word. Can't be in the, the room with it. Of my like, it might, <laughs> it
1: might be, uh it, it speaks to the power of the Bible, I would argue. Yeah, if yes. you can't, if you're so afraid of it, you can't even be in the room with it. And and, and I, I think we have to, since we mentioned book banning before, talk about like who, who's banning who books? Who are the real book who? banners?
0: <laughs> right. we're, we're stealing books here, right? Not, yeah. Well, here's the kicker. Um, Stephanie Stahl Hamilton is an ordained minister, Presbyterian minister. She actually has a master's of divinity from Princeton
1: Theological Seminary. Yeah, I, I, I when I heard that, I thought, what is this world coming to that? It's actually somebody in the ministry hiding, hiding Bibles in sofas in the refrigerator. I can't. You know, putting it in the refrigerator made me think about that episode of Friends where I don't know. <laughs> uh, Rachel is uh, trying to get Joey to read Little Women, and so he, he makes her read The Shining, And um, but whenever he gets scared of the book, The Shining, he puts his book in the freezer. (laughs) And so then when he gets worried that Beth is going to die in Little Women, he puts the book in the freezer. And I I think the minister might just be a little worried about what's uh, in the book.
0: Is there some kind of logic to that? Because to me, if you want to spread the word more, you put it in the fridge where everyone goes. Like, so what is the logic? (laughs) Um, Well, you know. (laughs) We're talking about Joey from Friends. There's
1: not a whole lot Yeah, of yeah. If you watch that think. show, it's not like all the right. bulbs were all screwed in tight. I
0: know? did have this imagination, this thought in my mind that she's running to hide the Bible and she's yeah. about to get caught she, the fridge, stuff's it in the fridge. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe.
1: maybe somebody's going to walk in and see that she was, see, they might have seen a Presbyterian minister holding a Bible and they wouldn't know what to do. You know, Eli's giving me looks over here because I'm Presbyterian, <laughs> but I'd like, I I Just for the record, there There are are multiple kinds of Presbyterians. That's fair. That's completely fair.
0: Well, people actually tried to ask her about this reasoning. Uh, The first time a a reporter approached her, she actually ran down the hallway from the reporter. But at last, she felt like she needed to make a statement. And so here's her statement. She said, quote, uh, well, she said it was meant quote is just a little playful commentary on the separation of church and state. So Victoria, I got to hand that one to you. Okay, me. she
1: just totally got busted and didn't know what to say, which is just embarrassing. <laughs> like I'm trying to imagine like like trying to have a productive career after you've done something this embarrassing. But anyway, but I but the thing is there's nothing in the constitution about church and state. So every time somebody <laughs> says something like that, it makes me absolutely crazy because they show their ignorance when they make that comment. So it's <laughs> just ridiculous. And of course, what what did what our founding documents does have all throughout it yeah. are references to the creator yeah. and <laughs> all sorts of things that actually yeah. allude to biblical references. Yeah. I got to love what Todd Starnes said.
0: Uh, he, he pointed out that Arizona's official motto is actually god enriches so it makes sense that they would have the bibles available to the representatives in their state capitol yeah
1: all right so i guess this this means that this week's inconceivable has to go to the bible gate culprit for reminding us why we can't take the freedom to access god's word for granted yes all right,
0: thanks for joining us this week for Speak Up Virginia. Remember to share the podcast. If you are on Apple or Spotify, listen, give us that five-star review. If you're watching us on YouTube, remember to subscribe to the playlist and share it with friends. And we'll see you next time.